a couple things by way of announcement. Um, want to be sure we keep our communication up. Uh, I sometimes forget that not everybody has email. Um, I was reminded of that last week, and so I want to just clarify a couple of things. Uh, first of all, as Ben mentioned, we will be hosting St. Edward's Catholic School here uh, for a few months um, uh, once their school year gets started. Their school is in tough shape and is needing repair. They have raised the money to do the repairs, but they have no way, nowhere to operate school. Um, and so they came to us and asked if they could utilize our facility for a few months while theirs is being repaired. Uh, we have agreed with them in principle to do that, um, but we have some details in terms of how the logistics of that all work. Uh, we're going to do our utmost to ensure that, uh, that our ministries here at Chillicothe Bible Church remain unaffected by their presence. Uh, they will have some stuff they will bring over, but we're going to work hard to make sure that uh, that doesn't uh, limit our, our capabilities on using our, our building. Uh, also, just want to tell you, you know, the reason why we're doing this is not because we all agree theologically. We do not. Uh, we have significant differences with them uh, theologically and biblically and practically. Uh, but the Bible does say to love your neighbor. And if you have the world's goods, to share them with those who are in need. And they are in pretty big need. And so we're taking that principle and applying it to their situation. Uh, so if you have questions about that, uh, do come see me. Also, um, one other quick thing. I told you all last week that I was planning to move. Um, and the house we uh, had put an offer on and had gotten an accepted offer on, we made an offer that was contingent on the sale of our house before the um, real estate sign could go up in our yard. They'd gotten a non-contingent offer, which they accepted. So we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're... Uh, Still in the same house, at least for the time being, um, uh, although we are looking at another one. But uh, again, rest assured, we're not moving out of town anywhere. We're, uh, we're staying here. I'm going to be your pastor as long as you'll let me. All right, so uh, don't worry about that. Um, one last thing. Uh, Karen, uh, my dear wife, is down in the ER at Methodist right now. Uh, she has it, she has had a CT scan. She's been in significant pain since last night. Had to go home from the band uh, event last night in significant pain. Uh, they've checked her out. She uh, they ruled out a kidney stone, but she does have a very large ovarian cyst, and so they're trying to see if that is the cause of the pain and figure out what to do. Uh, with that. So if I seem a little distracted this morning, it's only because I am. Uh, so if you can pray for me while we, uh, while we open the word together, and let's, let's in fact do that and lift these things up. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, I just pray that uh, you would be honored in our service. Father, I know that um, Right now, my heart is divided. Uh, part of it is here, and part of it is downtown at the hospital, and I'm worried a little bit about Karen. I pray that you would uh, help me not to give in to fear, uh, but to trust you that your hands are protecting and, and uh, 
and healing Karen even as I am here. Uh, that her health is not dependent on my presence but on yours. And so, Father, I, I entrust her to you and lift her up to you and pray that uh, the doctors would have a quick diagnosis um, and a relatively easy-to-recover-from solution. Uh, and, Father, I also pray for our, uh, our neighbors at St. Ed's. Uh, Father, we have an opportunity to be hospitable to them and to uh, demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And, Father, I pray that that as we do that together as a church, that, um, that they would see our love for them and love for you. And Father, uh, I pray it would be uh, something that would speak to our community as well, of the power of the gospel uh, to make churches that don't have a lot in common uh, work together to accomplish something that is important. And Father... Uh, I pray for our service. I pray that your word would be clearly understood and faithfully obeyed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, and it is a passage about discipline, uh, about God's discipline specifically. And, uh, and when you're suffering, as these Hebrews were and as uh, some of you either are or one day will be, then the then perspective is the one thing that you really need, and it's the one thing that in the midst of your suffering is often hardest to come by. And so the this passage is about going through hardship and receiving it as discipline from God. Now, uh, there are two kinds of discipline. I just want to clarify that, and they're both in view here, okay? Uh, there is, first of all, there's what we regard as the good kind of discipline, which is what I would call formative discipline. This is things like, when you have kids, you know, you have to teach them how to use the bathroom together. You know, you go in there with them and you teach them how to use the bathroom. You teach them how to brush their teeth. When you have boys of a certain age, you teach them how to wear deodorant right? You teach them how to shave. You, uh, if, you, if, you're, if you join a football team, you know, the first couple of weeks of football practice are conditioning, right? Which are designed to get rid of all the popsicles and Twinkies you've been eating and to uh, make you physically fit and ready for football, right? Uh, these are formative things. They're designed to shape you and mold you into a certain direction to make you a certain kind of person, right? Uh, when you go into the, into the Marine Corps, they give you that wonderful haircut. You know, they've got those razors that shave down to the bone, right? And uh, they put you in Paris, uh, take you to Paris Island, and they put you on the yellow footprints, and you kind of walk through the whole process, right? And, uh, and they're designed to make you, uh, to make you something other than what you have been, they're designed to turn you from a civilian into a recruit and then into a marine, right? One of the few and the proud, right? Just like the commercials say. They have the best commercials, by the way, of all the armed services, right? I talking to a marine guy one time, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't get what the deal is with the marines, you know? 
uh, what, you know, aren't they just a division of the Navy? And he's like, yeah, we're the men's division. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so uh, they have the greatest commercials. But, but, you know, they are trying to form those young men and those young women into Marines, into people who can hit the beach, who can kick down doors and take out the enemy. Amen? And you don't arrive at boot camp able to do any of those things. And so they have to take you through a process. And there's a, so there's formative shaping discipline that happens, right? Now, related to it is the other kind of discipline. And it's corrective discipline. And that's when we use the word discipline, that's usually what most people think of, is the corrective variety in which, you know, your kid... Uh, you catch them, you know, drawing on the walls again after you've told them not to, and then you slap their hand and you take the crayons away, right? It's corrective discipline. Or you tell your teenage daughter, you know, this is the last time that you are coming in this late, and for the next month you will not be out, right? Um, told you you have a curfew. This is corrective discipline, right? And God does the same thing with us. He both shapes us with, our, with the circumstances he puts us in. He forms us and he's molding us in direction. But he also corrects, doesn't he? He will also sometimes bring pain into our life so that we are, we are prevented from or stopped from or all of a sudden repenting of something we have been previously doing. Amen? And so the writer of Hebrews, his, his central point is that whatever hardship you go through, you need to see it as God's discipline, as either correcting you from sin or shaping you in the direction that he wants you to be, turning you into the kind of person that he has in mind for you. Because God has a purpose and a plan behind your life and mine, and, and some of that plan includes hardship and difficulty. Amen? Uh, if you ever watch religious TV, and again, um, I don't recommend that, but if you do that, what you will find out from a lot of those guys and a lot of those gals, you know, the Joyce Myers of the world and all of those kinds of people, they will tell you that God wants you healthy and happy and wealthy and nothing bad to come into your life, okay? Is that true? No, that's a lie, okay? If you have books by those people, throw them out. Uh, it will not be a bad thing. It will improve your spiritual growth vastly, all right? Uh, because the Scripture says that God allows and, in fact, designs and intends for a great deal of hardship to come into your life to make you the kind of person that he wants you to be. And if, by the way, he allows Jesus to suffer, you can bet that he will allow the same kind of thing to happen to you and me. Amen? So, with all that as, as kind of by way of introduction here, beginning of verse 4, chapter 12, uh, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And the point of those verses is that God lovingly disciplines all of his children. All of his children are disciplined by God. And if you either are a parent or you have had parents, you quickly learn that moms and dads don't respond to things the same way, do they? If you fall down, let's say, you know, or you take a hard hit at football, or you uh, stub your toe, or, you know, you cut yourself or whatever, okay, and you get injured and you go see dad, what does dad say? Are you bleeding? No. Okay. You still walking? All right, good. Rub some dirt on it, shake it off. Right? That's dad, pretty much. What's mom do? Oh, honey, I'm so sorry you got hurt. Oh, let me give you a hug. You know, you need a popsicle, right? Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) you need a kiss. I'll make it better, right? Uh, Now, okay, now God deals with us as a father, okay? Now, it's not to say that God is not compassionate or that he doesn't love us tenderly or any of that, but he, he deals with us like a father with his son, um, and, and it's a reminder of a couple of things here in verse 4. That if you look at verse 4, he says, he says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, Dad kind of says, well, you're not bleeding, you're, you're okay. Even if you're only bleeding a little bit, you're, you're okay. Put a band-aid on it and move on. Uh, But here the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you haven't resisted sin yet to the point of shedding your blood. And it's a reminder of a couple things. That number one, you haven't gone through martyrdom yet, which is important, right? The worst kind of persecution is the kind where you die at the end. And you haven't experienced that yet, so you're still okay. And then on top of that, that Jesus who the apostle has just been talking about in the first three verses as our great example, did in fact die for our sins. That he did in fact die for our sins. In his struggle against our sin, Jesus died to give us victory over it. And so even if we do die as a result of our struggle against sin, we're only following Jesus' example in this. And if we don't, then we're still blessed more than we deserve. Amen? Because what's the penalty for sin? Death, right? So if you don't die in your struggle against sin, but Jesus died for you, then you still are living by grace. Amen? And if you do die, well, then you're only following Jesus' example all the way to the end, which is still okay. And either way, the encouragement there in verse 4 is to follow Jesus' example to going all the way to death, if need be, in our obedience and allegiance to God, if that is His calling on your life or on mine. 
And in verse 5 and 6, he's given us another reminder to remember God's exhortation to us. And there's a couple things I want to point out here. First, he tells us to remember that God is addressing us in the Scriptures as sons. As sons. That is, that we're his children. That ought to tell us that there's nothing that comes into our lives, nothing comes into our lives that hasn't first passed through God's sovereign, loving fingers. That whatever comes into our life is filtered, in a sense, through God's hands because we are His children. And so whatever happens to you is something that God has permitted and allowed. In fact, more than permitted and allowed, in many cases, like with Job, one of the hardest verses you'll ever read is, is in, I believe it's Job chapter 1, where Satan is going about roaming around on the earth, and he says, what have you been doing? He goes, I've been roaming around on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? In other words, why does Job suffer? Because it's God's idea. But God has a loving, sovereign purpose for Job in all of his suffering. Just like he has a loving, sovereign purpose for your suffering and for mine too. And he says, remember that God's exhortation here is addressed to you as sons. In other words, that this is not just some random event that comes into your life. This is not some painful thing that just happens because God just didn't, wasn't you know, paying attention that day to what was going on with you. That you are His child. And what comes into your life comes through His hand. And then you get a quotation in the last half of 5 and all of 6 there of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And what you see there is some additional fatherly encouragement that we not disregard God's discipline or get weary of His correction. I think that's the idea of this. You know, when I have, uh, in my house, you know, we, we sometimes are correcting on the same issue more than once. Now, I know that's an unusual phenomenon, all right? But sometimes at my house, I have to say the same thing at least twice before my kids get it, right? Now, you guys are better parents than me, so you never have to do that, I'm sure. But in any case, um, we have to say it more than once. And sometimes I've said it so often that they can say it with me, right? And, and sometimes I will hear, yes, Dad, I know, <laughs> I know. And I say to them, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, Right? <laughs> right? It's my standard response, right? Always quote scripture to your kids, right? It's always a good thing because <laughs> it keeps you remembering that, that you need to be focused on the Lord and all this, right? But, um, uh, but the idea here is he says, you know how your kids kind of get weary and they go, I know. Why are you telling me this again? Because you didn't do it the last time, <laughs> right? That's weary of God's correction. That when you take that attitude toward the Lord, that's being weary of His correction or disregarding the Lord's instruction. And He says, my son, don't do that. 
Don't do that. Don't, don't get stiff-necked under God's correction, uh, under God's discipline. Um, part of the job description of being a parent is giving your kid tasks and putting them in situations that are uncomfortable and challenging to them. Why do you do that? Why do you make your kids clean their rooms? I mean, other than like basic sanitation and trying to avoid vermin and all that, right? Why do you do that, right? Well, why do you have your son help you change the oil on the car? Why do you make them take showers and brush their teeth and wear clean socks every day and learn to do their own laundry? Why do you make them learn how to run the vacuum and, how to, and send them to school even when they don't want to go? Why? Why do you make them come to church even when they don't want to and make it clear that their coming is not optional? At least it's not at my house. Um, it's never been optional. You know, my kids have never had the idea that it was optional whether or not they went. They go. Um, and you do, let me just suggest it to you this way, that the reason you do all of that stuff is because you are not raising kids, you're raising adults. Amen? That's what we're doing as parents. We're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And we want them to be fully developed, functional adults when they get to be uh, chronological adults. Amen? That when enough time has passed that society regards them as adults, that we can expect them to live as adults to be independent and to have the skills necessary to make it in life without you having to be there to hold their hand. And you love them and you're investing in them because you are trying to help them become mature. And the point of verse 5 and 6 is precisely that, that God is doing the same thing with us. That because He loves us, there's chastisement. Because he loves us, there's correction. Because he loves us, there's formative discipline and painful experiences that we go through. Why does your football coach make you do push-ups? Is it because he loves to torture you? Maybe. But, um, but also because he is wanting to build your chest muscles, right? So that when you line up across the guy and you hit him, that it does more than just make him go... What was that, you know? You, make, you want to be able to push him back and get that ball, right? He is developing in you things that you will need later. And God is doing the same thing. He is developing in you and me some abilities and skills that we will later need. Amen? And don't miss the last part of uh, or verse 6 here. You want, to, you want to circle these two things, okay? Where the Lord disciplines the one, underline and circle this. He loves and chastises, and then circle these two words, every son whom he receives. The whole idea is that God is not doing this because he hates us. God is not allowing you to go through difficult circumstances because he is indifferent to you 
and just can't be bothered to rescue you from these things, but he is deliberately putting them into your path because he loves you. And he is training you and shaping you and correcting you and molding you. And the point is, is that God lovingly disciplines all his children. All his children. God disciplines lovingly. Now move on with me to verse 7 and 8. Here's some more fatherly encouragement to us. Uh, The apostle here is telling us that we need to be encouraged because God's discipline of us is one of the signs that we are his children. If it's true, follow the logic with me, if it's true that every one of God's children receives discipline from God, and verse 6 tells us that it is, then receiving God's discipline is a sign that you are His child. And if you are living a life into which God's discipline never comes, it's a sign that you are not His child. Amen? Now we have kids in our neighborhood. Some of them are mine. Some of them belong to other people. But there's one set of children that get correction and instruction from me. Guess which ones? The ones that are mine, right? And the neighbor kids can frankly, you know, run roughshod through the whole neighborhood except at my house. They can do whatever they want because they don't belong to me. They are not my responsibility. Now, I might run them out of my yard or, you know, keep them from torturing the dog or you know, recover my kid's bike or whatever, right? But I'm not disciplining the neighbor's kids because they're not mine. And in the same way, if God disciplines you, it's because you belong to Him. That you are His child. And if you are not disciplined, it's because you're not His. And so if you're receiving God's discipline in your life, be encouraged. Because it means that God loves you enough to intervene because you belong to Him. You belong to Him. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to you as a human being is to engage in deliberate rebellion against God and have absolutely nothing negative happen to you as a result. Because what that tells you is you're not a sheep, you're a goat. And if you, Because if you were a sheep, the shepherd would be coming after you. So that is a terrible, terrible thing. To go without discipline. Because it means, to use the language here of the verse, uh, the end of verse 8, it means that you are an illegitimate child and not a son. And that's a tragedy. So if you're being disciplined by God, be of good cheer. It means you're a child of God. Amen? God lovingly disciplines all his children. Now, the the verses that follow here, verses 9 through 11, tell us a little further why God lovingly disciplines us. And he does it so that we will bear the fruit of his holiness. Look at these verses here with me. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, verses 9 and 10 are reminders that we have already experienced discipline in an earthly way. And they're also reminders that none of us who is an earthly father is perfect in the way that we discipline. In fact, many of us, if we're honest, would confess that we have failed in this as often as we've succeeded and we've made mistakes and we've sinned many times along the way, even if we were trying our best to be good fathers. We all fall short of being good dads. Praise God for grace. Amen. But note the contrast. God is not like our earthly fathers. He is the father of spirits, meaning he is the father of the angelic realm, the creator of the angels. And the point is, is that if our earthly fathers, with all of their imperfections, should be respected and obeyed, how much more should we obey and respect and follow and revere our heavenly father who loves us? And if our earthly fathers disciplined us when we were kids according to whatever wisdom or lack thereof that they possessed uh, and we still respected and followed them then how much more should we respect and follow God whose discipline is not according to what seems best in the opinion of a sinful man but what actually is best for us according to God's loving and sovereign plan for us amen And his plan is for his loving, fatherly discipline to produce his holiness in us. That's what the the scripture here says, that we may share in his holiness. In other words, God intends for us to endure hardship, not because it is in some abstract way good for us. You You ever have a, my dad used to use this expression, a lot. He would say, uh, son, I want you to stack these bricks. Why? It'll build character, <laughs> right? I felt like I had built enough character to be a saint somewhere along the way, right? All the projects I had to do growing up. Um, not sure that it helped. Uh, maybe not because, you know, dad wasn't uh, wise enough, but because I was awfully stubborn. But in any case, God actually is building our character. He is making us holy in the same way that he is as he allows us and puts us into these kind of situations. And the goal is transformation into God's own character and likeness. Now look at verse 11 for a minute. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I read that and I thought, yeah, you can say that in lights. Uh, no discipline seems painful at the time. Anybody ever thought to themselves, you know, what I'd really like to do is go through some pain and suffering in life. 
Man, my pain and suffering quotient has really been kind of low lately, and I'd really like to feel like I smacked my head against a brick wall today, and this would just really be great if I could just go through a little more pain and suffering. No, no one says that. It's not easy. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. And the reason it's not easy is because when you are disciplined, you are being required to put part of yourself to death. And that's hard. And the part of you that is dying is some selfish, sinful part. And so it's good that it's dying because after a while, according to verse 11, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, that even as you're going through it, you have learned to trust God and to obey God no matter what comes. And you have become a more holy person as a result. So here's the, here's the principle here. That hardship produces holiness in God's people. And that's the point. So endure hardship as God's discipline for your good. Endure hardship as God's discipline for your good. If God lovingly disciplines our ch- His children so that our lives bear the fruit of His holiness, then we need to endure hardship as God's discipline for our good. This is God's perspective on things. He's not allowing difficulties in our lives because He's busy or doesn't care, but because He does care and He loves us intensely. And He loves us too much to leave us in our sin, and He wants us to be holy. And so he allows these things and plans these things and purposes these things into our lives to make us his holy people. Amen? and And because of that, we have a lot for which to thank God, even in our difficulties. Remember? Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Again I say. Rejoice. So let's rejoice in the Lord together in prayer and then let's sing. All right. God, our Heavenly Father, it seems as though you are making me live my messages and go through hardship and difficulty even as I preach about it. And Father, I pray that I would endure well the suffering you bring into my life and the life of my family, that I might become your holy child. And Father, I pray the same for these, your people, that I know that there are hardships and surgeries and illnesses and pain and death and long slides into decline that are happening right now. There are financial problems and job losses and marital stresses and children that have broken our hearts all in this room. And Father, I pray that we would endure these things as your discipline. Not that you are whacking on us, but that you are molding us and shaping us and forming us and making us your holy people. 
Father, help us to take joy in the knowledge that we are your children, and that is why these things are happening, because you love us too much to leave us attached to our sin. And so you use hardship to separate it from us and to bring us to yourself. Father, help us to remember these things as we go through the pains of life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.